So this morning, let me say that it's good to be back with you. Uh, you may not have realized this, but I was not here the last two Sundays. Uh, we enjoyed hearing Archie preach while we were traveling, taking students to Edisto. I had my grand finale with RUF Erskine students. It was a sweet time. It was a good time. Preached five times to them, and I was the cook for 32 people. That was exhausting. Uh, how many trips to the grocery store do they need? Um, that was a sweet time, a good time, and then we did take a little vacation weekend, and uh, my former campus minister, David Sinclair, I hope that you enjoyed hearing him preach if you were here last Sunday, a man who God used to shape me in many ways. So this morning, we're returning to our conversation of one that we've had for multiple weeks, 20-something weeks, and that is we're looking at Old Testament and New Testament, seeking to answer the question, what is the church? What's the church according to Scripture? Not according to our gut instinct, not according to what we grew up with, not according to personal preference, but really, what does the Bible say the church is? What is the church to be? What characterizes the Christian church? And so we're continuing that theme this morning, looking again at Acts chapter 2. Immediately after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit has come and has breathed life into what will be the church and doing a transformative work, a beautiful work within the people of God. And here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we're given at least three things that characterize what the church should be, who we are, and really the very things that we should be devoted to. So what are those three things, that minimal three things that we should be characterized by and that we should be devoted to? We'll give your attention to God's Word. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Speaking of the disciples and of the early believers, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray that God would give us attention and focus to consider his word and to apply it to our lives. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, would you do that very thing? Would you work in us eyes to see what your word says, hearts that would receive it, and lives that would apply it, that we might actually be the church in the place where you've planted us? And we ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what does it mean to be devoted we speak of athletes being devoted to their sport. 
If you're a runner or a cyclist, or I'll add a walker, there's no shame in walking. You know what it is to make sure you get your steps in, to make sure you get your miles in, to make sure you get your time in. Uh, if you're an athlete who plays a sport, you know what it is to get your practice in, to get your weight conditioning in. If you're a professional, you know what it is to be devoted to your years of study, to medical school or graduate school, to whatever you had to do to pour those hours of preparation in to be approved and to be degreed, to be able to be in a position. To be devoted, whether as an athlete or a student or a scholar or a doctor or whatever it may be, you know that you have to be committed to your craft. you got to be focused on being good at the things that you're supposed to be good at, right? To be devoted, to be committed. The truth is, if you've been devoted, you also know how easy it is to be distracted, to be weary, to be tired of the same old mundane routine thing. And you can be distracted and pulled off topic. You can be distracted and pulled away from the primary subject to the secondary, right? So true story, many years ago, I'm going to guess this was 15 years ago, but I'm not exactly sure. I was lying on my back in my garage working on a lawnmower. I think I was changing the blades of a lawnmower. You've been there, many of you know what I'm talking about. It's horrible. I have the radio playing in the background while I do this work, and I heard something one time, I heard this on the radio only one time, but I stopped what I was doing because I was in awe of what I was hearing. And this is what it was. It was a commercial by Hardee's, the hamburger chain restaurant. And I'll never forget it, and I've used this as illustrations before, and you'll probably hear it again, but I stopped what I was doing when I heard the commercial say this. They announced that this was a commercial from Hardee's, and they said, we want to apologize to you, our customers, because for the last few years, we have gotten away from the one thing that was our priority. And they went on to explain, and some of you will remember this, uh, they got away from hamburgers, and they prioritized they were selling fried chicken for a while. You remember this? Um, different food items, I think hot dogs. I can't remember all the items, but I remembered as they said that, I remembered seeing that as a customer that, yeah, they don't really focus on hamburgers anymore. They're doing chicken and hot dogs and everything else. And this commercial was a marketing campaign that said, apparently fried chicken and hot dogs weren't working. We've got to get back to hamburgers. And that's when they have gone this whole new line that you've seen, the thick burger and all that. And now you're getting hungry, and I should have said none of that. <laughs> but here's the point. There is a point to this. They were honest, and they said, we tried to be all things to all people. And we got away from the one thing that we existed to focus on. We were created for hamburgers. We got pulled off track by fried chicken and hot dogs. And the point of the commercial was to say, we're back. We're going to be about hamburgers 
period. And so I'm on my back, I'm working on this lawnmower, I hear this apology. How often do you hear an apology on the radio? I, I drop my tools, I stop, and I just listen, and I'm like, that was beautiful. That was, that was really a beautiful thing. They admitted that they got off track and they promised to return. Now, I don't eat there very often, but I'll never forget that commercial. And what I want to say to you, and how I hope you might remember that story is that sometimes in the church, we should be that honest. And we should say, even to our people, forgive us when we've gotten off topic and off target, and we've been pulled into thinking we're supposed to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, when we're really supposed to be about A, B, C. Right? So that's the big picture of what I'm doing this morning. I want to highlight, according to Scripture, at the very earliest moment of the church, what we're given as the ABC, the heart and soul of what should characterize us, God's people, the church. There's at least three things, at least, and I'm going to highlight those this morning. The three things are these. You could call them deep community deep conviction, and deep change. But really, this is a sermon for those listening on the Word, the sacraments, and prayer. So you've heard from God's Word what we've read, that the early church from the beginning of its time was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke, in writing Acts, says these people were devoted it's a little commentary on what these people are like. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, to the apostles' teaching, and to prayer. And there was this unity about them. There was this oneness. They were even willing to sell their stuff when somebody needed it because there was this mysterious love and unity about the community called the church. So deep community, deep conviction, deep change. That's the church according to Scripture, at least how it was first characterized. Let's look at each of those briefly. First, deep community. The early church was devoted to God in ordinary things, the simplest of things. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are ordinary things, right? Those are not spectacular things. But a few points of, of comment. First, when it says the apostles' teaching, let's understand that for what it is. That's the Lord's teaching. Right? You remember I highlighted in Acts chapter 1 that Jesus had spent 40 days teaching the apostles about the kingdom of God before his ascension. They had been discipled, taught, instructed by Jesus himself. And now they are offering that to the masses. So the apostles' teaching is the Lord's teaching. It's what he has given them. And that's a very ordinary thing. It's a very beautiful thing. But the truth is, the world in which we live has no stomach for a subject like that. The modern world in which we live has no interest in the apostles' teaching or the Lord's teaching. It's going to be the church that is uniquely interested in what the Lord has to say. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones' commentary on the book of Acts. I've been reading that as I work through Acts with you. A couple of quotes I'm going to share, and I didn't print them here, so you're going to have to listen. Uh, you're going to have to listen to the, to the reading of the quotes. But before I read it, let me say this. He is writing in the 1960s, this commentary on Acts, these sermons from Acts. So realize we're talking decades ago. But listen to how what he said then in the 60s applies perfectly to what we're living in now. The first thing he says about this is this. The earliest Christians, above everything else, sought to learn and know the apostles' teaching. This is the exact opposite of what is popular in the modern era. Modern men and women are rooted in objection to Christian doctrine and creeds. Jesus said the world would reject him and the teaching of him. But what is new today, and this is alarming and tragic, he says, is that opposition to Christian doctrine is not confined to the world, but is even found at the very center of the church itself. Now this is in the 1960s, and this is speaking to higher criticism and to liberal Christianity that was disbelieving the miracles of Jesus, disbelieving the authority of the Bible, but all four talking about love and unity and peace among people. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says there's something very, very evil and strategic about corrupting the teaching within the church. And so the apostles' teaching, the teaching of Jesus, has got to be front and center. It's got to be protected. It's got to be maintained in anything that calls itself a Christian church. Now he goes on from there and he says this. Secular modern education has sought to persuade us that old biblical beliefs are no longer credible. That they cannot be held as true. Scientific and social revolution have produced the assumption that mankind can sustain the world as a do-it-yourself affair. Whereas men once prayed for rain, he now only needs to build reservoirs and store it for himself. You hear what he's saying? We live in a world that has explained away the beauty of biblical truth and God's revelation to us. And we used to be a people that would pray for rain, but even within the church, we've become a do-it-yourself kind of people. Don't need community, don't need God's word. I got this, right? The great lie of our era, I got this. And so the church has got to be a people, it always has been, and the true church always will be, a people who hold on to the Lord's teaching. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what your neighbor says, regardless of what any unbelieving person says, we're a people of the book. We're a people of God's word. We're a people who hold on to the apostles' teaching, and that is the teaching of Jesus. We're also a people of the breaking of bread. That sacramental breaking of bread that Jesus gave his disciples, but also that neighborly fellowship, the breaking of bread as we experience and that we'll experience out here in our picnic as a further commercial for that. 
the breaking of bread is the coming together, enjoying one another. But more than the breaking of bread, it's remembering what the bread, who the bread himself really is. And we're a distinct people in the earth who look to that bread, that person of Jesus, as the only sustenance of our life, the only true sustenance for our faith. And so we come together, we break bread, and we do it sacramentally. In this church, we do it once a month. But we do it, we should be doing it in a neighborly, enjoyable, relational way. And I know we've lived through COVID. <clears throat> We're almost on the other end of it, it seems. And then maybe it will be more normal for us to be in each other's homes and on each other's patios. But these people were characterized by breaking bread together. They loved to be together. They enjoyed each other. And marveling over the truth that Jesus had been seen. He had been resurrected. He had ascended into heaven. And they enjoyed marveling over that redefining truth as individuals and as families, they enjoyed gathering around that truth. And then the third thing about this deep community is that they were characterized by prayer. And you know, the Lord had given the disciples the Lord's Prayer, what we sometimes say in this church. And so no doubt they had that specific prayer that they would use. But surely they prayed for one another. They prayed as you and I would around the table. They prayed for their families. They prayed for the kingdom and for the Lord's work. But just another layer to the depth of this community. They were hungry for teaching. They enjoyed fellowship with other believers. And they would pray for each other. They cared for each other. And so I suppose it's appropriate to stop and ask, okay, if they were devoted to those things... How devoted are we? How devoted is your household? How devoted is our church family? Are we known for these kinds of things? That these are a people, when they gather, God's word is always present. God's word is always shaping. Well, maybe we just modeled that ourselves by sending our graduates out with the scriptures, right? Be committed to the apostles' teaching. That's essentially what we just highlighted. But we come together and break bread and we pray for one another. We care for each other. That's what it is to be the Christian church, says Luke. And as people watched this early community, it just kind of boiled down to those characteristics. They were a people who loved the word, the sacraments, and prayer. They understood those were the ordinary things through which God did an extraordinary work in his people. Now, this isn't unique to me and my teaching. You need to know that our church and our denomination is committed to those three things. The word, sacraments, and prayer. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, they're called the ordinary means of grace. In the shorter catechism, question number 88 the question is asked, essentially, this is my language, how is it that God works in Christians? How is it that God works salvation and growth in Christians? And the answer is this. The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are His ordinances. The Word, 
sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. In my own language, I would say, look, it boils down to words, sacraments, and prayer. Do you want to grow as a Christian? Those are the avenues, those are the means, those are the ordinary means through which God grows Christians. And so if we're going to be a faithful church, word, sacraments, prayer have got to be the heartbeat of our church. If we're faithful, those are going to be normative to our experience together. Now the truth is, you're probably hearing all that and you're like, that sounds fine, that sounds good, that's not remarkable. And that's true. But do you know there are great tensions over this subject? Even within our beloved denomination, great tensions, right? Because it's so easy to be pulled off topic, I would say. It's so easy to be innovative. And there's one thing about being creative with word sacraments and prayer, and there's another thing about being distracted and lessening word sacraments and prayer. I know this, 19 years ago when I came to Erskine College to do campus ministry in RUF, I had leaders in ministry tell me, students will never gather for preaching. That's not how you minister to students. And thankfully, I had been shaped by these principles of ministry, and I just internally knew, yes, they will. Because that's how God ordinarily works. It's through His Word and the preaching of His Word. I didn't say that out loud back, but inside I was screaming, don't say that the preaching of God's Word won't reach people and change people. It always has. And it always will. So as a church family, Word, sacraments, and prayer, they are what give us deep, growing community. Secondly, deep conviction. This community early on here in Acts, they were characterized by deep conviction. They held to things deeply. They were moved deeply. Those ordinary things, word sacraments and prayer and the commitment to them, had this extraordinary result, this extraordinary fruit in these people called Christians. Later in Acts... It's remarked as they see this community growing and as they see lives changing, the watchers, the spectators of this church, they're heard saying things like, the, like this. Weren't the leaders of this movement unschooled, ordinary men? They're not as sophisticated as us. They're not as educated as us. How is it that they're having such a profound ability to gather people and to win people? They're unschooled, ordinary men. Later in Acts, it's said that these men, this church, turned the world upside down. Which is to say nothing was left the same when the gospel came to bear in community. Now why is that? It's because these people had a deep conviction. They deeply held to and believed what they had gotten from the apostles' teaching. Now, the fruit of that were a couple of these things. It says they had a true sense of unity, a sense of oneness. They then broke bread in each other's homes, and they had glad and sincere hearts. 
Simple stuff, ordinary stuff. But God used that simple thing, those simple things, to do extraordinary work in the hearts and minds of his people. Now just think about that. Some of you are great at hosting. You love having people over. But it's one thing to host. It's another thing to do it with a glad and sincere heart, right? Okay, we've got to have such and such over. Have you ever said that in your home? And then, okay, finally, all right, now, now we're back to normal. Um, but we checked it off our list. That's not how these people were characterized. They did it with glad and sincere hearts. They loved being together. They loved coming together over the subject of the gospel, the fellowship that they had. They had seen the resurrected Jesus. They had heard from the resurrected Jesus. Their lives had been changed. And then they saw him ascended and taken up into heaven. They did it with glad and sincere hearts. That's deep conviction. That's the Lord working deeply in them. By the way, that's also known as Jesus' ministry on earth from heaven. Because it's the Holy Spirit working by and with the word in the hearts of his people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 says this, The gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You see, that's how the Holy Spirit works. Have you known him in that way? That he would give you a desire for deep community? That he would work deep conviction into your heart? Maybe your heart was cold and lifeless, and he worked deep conviction, a love for the brethren, a love for fellowship, a love for the church, because the Holy Spirit moves and he works that deepness within our shallow hearts. Samuel Rutherford says this. It says, we must remember, let the faithful remember, and let us be faithful and care for our own part, which is to do and suffer for him. And let us lay Christ's part on himself and leave it there. For duties are ours and events are the Lord's. That is to say, the Lord calls his people to be faithful in a task, faithful to their duty. And the fruit that will come or that will not come, it's all up to the Lord. Duties are ours. The results belong to the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit who works deep community, who works deep conviction, who works deep change into the life of His people. We're simply called to be faithful to the small things. Faithful to the ordinary things of word, sacrament, and prayer. My hope and my prayer is that we'll continue to be found faithful in those things. GPC as a church family has been faithful to those things. My hope and my prayer is that we remain faithful in our commitment to it. That we would be a church long into our future, characterized by the word, by the sacraments, and by prayer. So where's your heart on that? Where's the heart of your family? Is that what you want GPC to be? Faithful to word, sacraments, and prayer? 
Or have you found that it's easy to be pulled off subject, pulled off target? It's an easy thing to do in our culture, in our world. We all know what it is to shop for a church, and it's nice when it has a gym and basketball goals, but those things aren't necessary to be the church. It's the Word, sacraments, and prayer. Those are the marks, the simplest of marks, of the Christian church. I'll close with this quote before we sing. In the Gospel Coalition, there was an article on word, sacraments, and prayer, and I found this quote by one theologian. It says this, What does a church look like that is committed to the ordinary means of grace? That is, word, sacraments, and prayer. He says, it looks like a church that stopped running after new fads and innovations, for one thing. Pastors and leaders can step off the treadmill of chasing new solutions. But that's not all. A church committed to the ordinary means of grace will be characterized by love for expository Bible preaching, passion for worship, delight in truth, embrace of the gospel, the Spirit's work of conversion, a life of godliness, robust family religion, biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical church membership, mutual accountability in the church, biblical church leadership, and a desire to be a blessing to the nations. Along with this all, there will be an unapologetic, humble, and joyful celebration of the transcendent sovereignty of the one true triune God and the salvation found in Him. You know, that's a long quote, but that's a good quote. A church that is committed to word, sacraments, and prayer, it's going to look a certain way. There's going to be values that are obvious about it. We want those to be obvious of us. We want those attributes of word, sacraments, and prayer to be true of our church family here. That we would not be apologizing years down the road for getting off subject, for getting off target but that we would be found faithful doing those ordinary things every time we gather. The youth gather, the Word is present. The teenagers gather, the Word is present. We gather for worship, we gather for Sunday school, you gather for small groups, we're about the Word, we're about prayer. Sacraments would be unique to our gathering together corporately, but at GPC, could that be our heart could that be our soul long into the future? Let's pray that that would be true. Father, that is our prayer. <clears throat> Essentially, that you would be our vision. You would be our focus. That we would hold fast and true to the characteristics of what you've called your church to do and who you've called us to be. Lord, would you keep us and our families from being pulled off topic, from being pulled off subject. 
may we always be found faithful to what we've been given in our toolbox. The word, sacraments, and prayer. And we ask this and we pray it for the good of this congregation. And for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.